Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. And we are recording for our second bonus episode, London. Hello, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Again, this is our second bonus episode on the road to the cure. We are going to be guesting, appearing. I can't fucking get the verbiage right on this. Participating. We're going to be participating in the live stream for The Cure, taking place on the weekend of uh, May 17th, 17th through the 19th. Uh, We do have a promo for them, and we will play that right now. I'm Nick. And I'm Justin. And we can't believe it's already time for the 2019 live stream for The Cure. Thanks to our amazing peers, listeners, and supporters. Last year, we crushed our goal of $5,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. The Cancer Research Institute is funding research into immunotherapy to create a future immune to all forms of cancer. Every single cent we raise goes to them. And... They're also rated over 92% on CharityNavigator.org. This year, we're aiming our sights even higher with our most ambitious event to date. Join us May 17th through the 19th on Twitch.tv slash EpicFilmGuys for 40 hours of live content from us and other amazing shows who will join us to try to reach $7,500. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure for more information or to find out how you can be a part of the event. Together, we can make a difference. But in an effort to get ourselves ready for the live stream for The Cure, we're doing a few bonus episodes here to kind of help us sharpen up things. As we typically are known to go between 90 minutes and 120 minutes, Uh, We want to try to get things down to about an hour just for the sake of uh, the live stream for The Cure. Yeah, if you listen to our previous bonus episode on this road to the live stream, our African Queen episode, I think, I mean, haven't edited it yet, but the whole point was that we were going to try not to edit it. Mm -hmm. uh, And we we were right on time. Mm -hmm. Now, London, different beast. So I don't know if, (laughs) I mean, we theorized that maybe an African Queen, Contrarian's Corner took the bulk of the runtime Mm -hmm. and then... Real talk, we kind of blazed through without really sacrificing much content, I think. No. I, I get the feeling this might be the opposite, but we don't know. Time will tell. Time time will tell, literally. Time will tell. Um, I wanted to mention, just like we did in the previous episode, uh, twitch.tv slash Epic Film Guys. That's where you want to go on the day of the – or the weekend of live stream to catch the live stream. And we'll be there, of course, from uh, – <clears throat> from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so that's where we'll be doing on May 15th or May 18th. On, on May 18th, on the Saturday, uh, we're gonna be doing a movie that we'll reveal at the end of this episode. But also, like I announced on the previous bonus episode, I've already ordered the Blu-ray for that movie, and that Blu-ray is gonna be given away to one of the people that donate. Uh, to the to the cost during our segment, mm-hmm. so we'll just put all the names in a hat. We'll figure it out. But somebody's gonna gonna walk away from that uh, segment with a brand new Blu-ray director's cut slash uh, theatrical cut of a movie we'll announce at the end of this episode. If for any reason this is your first time listening to the Contrarians, uh, we remind you that we're right, you're wrong. What we do here is we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we like to say. And that we go to the old RT as it's viewed as such a source of truth. And what we do is find a movie ranked very highly or low and make an argument for it otherwise. So past episodes, 
find a low-ranked movie such as... What am I thinking of here? Well, you said Paul Blart last time. Paul Blart, Jesus Jones. Make a good case for that. Uh, inversely, or conversely, I should say, we'll watch a movie like Taxi Driver and make yes. a case for why it sucks. Jaws is a very popular episode. Jaws is a popular one because yeah. it was very easy to turn into a negative, and it worked for us. Yeah, that's what we do in Andreas Corner, the first half of the show. Correct. Second half is real talk where we tell you how we feel. That's where the real emotion comes out. So, for this bonus episode, uh, for our first one, as Julio had mentioned, we chose The African Queen, which is just about as fresh as it gets on Rotten Tomatoes at 98%. Uh, for the second bonus episode, we wanted to make sure to go to the other side of the coin, or the other side of the tomato, as it were. <laughs> and at uh, 14%, with a stinky, rotten rating, we are visiting the 2005 uh, misunderstood love masterpiece, London. Starring Jessica Biel, Captain America himself, Chris Evans, and as well, Jason Statham. Jason Statham in the, in the transitional period. Attempted transitional period. Yeah. This didn't latch on. He was trying to get out. He, this was the, the definitive Godfather line. <laughs> and just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. This was him trying to escape the transporter. Um, unsuccessfully, sadly, for the rest of us. But, you know, his bank account, I'm sure it's uh, it doesn't mind it. No, but you know, I think artistically, there's always going to be something un- unfulfilled with him that didn't come, didn't that wasn't realized. London represents the one that got away, <laughs> the hairpiece that got away. <laughs> London kicks us off, and um, I guess I'm assuming it's supposed to be New York City. They never name it, but the whole gist of this movie is that Jessica Biel is moving to the other side of the country, which is L.A. So, uh, yeah, we have to be on the East Coast somewhere now. I mean, we're not going to do what the movie does, which is have you guess for a little while why the movie's called London. At first, I thought it was set in London. Mm-hmm. I thought it was because we open with just chaos. Chaos. It's Captain America. Long doing, hair. Long hair, doing drugs, having sex, very explicit sex. And I was like, all right, that's life in London. <laughs> I was wrong. Then I think maybe Jessica Biel is moving to London. But no, there's how Jessica Biel is London. Mm-hmm. Mind blown. It's much like the Joker in The Dark Knight in that you can't wait for him to actually be on screen. When he's there, you can't believe it. And then third, you're when pining the- for a backstory. The only difference is <laughs> this gives it to you. Yes. And then when the movie's over, all you can do is talk about the Joker. <laughs> so before we get into the meat and potatoes of this whole thing being that it's 14 percent, people must have really fucking hated this yeah they're, including they're... former contrarians guest eddie straight is his... <laughs> oh, i didn't know he had seen it oh yeah he he always i think uh makes an audible noise along the the, the lines of ugh whenever well, this movie comes up obviously he, he was not part of the run tomatoes uh squad like he is now <laughs> so so his quotes are not here uh but we have Peter Subzinski from eFilmCritic.com who says, Grating and widely unpleasant from beginning to end, Damn. London is perhaps one of the least entertaining films that I can recall seeing. <laughs> Damn, Peter. Uh, Gregory Kirschling from Entertainment Weekly says, It's not so interesting to watch people on cocaine babble back and forth at each other. Well, it is if you're on cocaine. You tell that to Debbie Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and finally, Brill Bundy from Zaptoit.com says, The only thing more tedious than stoned people philosophizing about the existence of God is boys who can't bring themselves to say, I love you. A little too cynical, mm-hmm. Mr. Bundy. Al. <laughs> so let's just get that out of the way. Uh, Chris Evans has a very hard time saying, I love you. And I'm behind on the Marvel franchise, so I'm not sure if that carries over there. Um. Not so much. He's too busy saving the world to say I love you. Gotcha. It's more like the world says I love you, and we're just happy that he looks back. So Cappy is not here. He is Sid, S-Y-D. So you know he's legit. Long hair, as Julio mentioned. The first shot we see of him is waking up hungover as fuck. Takes a bong hit, and you know the really telltale. Uh, I've never been as low as I've been in my life. I've never been to the point he's been here where he's gripping at the different beer cans on the table to see what has something still left in it. Cause I think he's popping pills or some shit. Yeah. He's, he's like one level down from, uh, pouring milk directly into the cereal box. <laughs> Have you ever seen people do that? Yes. Yeah. That's, 
he's uh, he's worse than that. That's a, the first time I ever saw that was Bart Simpson. And then when I found out that people really do it, I was like, God, how sad. Jason Siegel and Sarah Marshall, the big salad bowl full of <laughs> cereal. So, Cap, phone starts ringing. Uh, we're taken back to a time I pine for, and I am more addicted to my phone than anyone else in this world. <laughs> the but... time when you were dating Jessica Biel? Oh, Jesus, I wish. Well... Back in those days, she w- she would have been at the top of the list back in 05 in terms of, like, the hot chicks. It was, like, her, Brittany, Jessica Simpson. Brittany might have even fallen off by that point. But that's not what we're here to debate. What I'm, I'm amazed at your, like, ability, your talent to recall, to match dates, to, like, peak hotness. No, 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 no. yeah. Brittany was 01. Like, Brittany peaked in, like, 01. I, I mean, Brittany Spears is still a gorgeous woman, but, like, right. hottest woman of all time status was, like, the slave music video. Does it work for both sexes, or is this just, like, your heterosexual tendencies? No, like, getting uh, the best like, of 97 you? Pierce Brosnan. Like, <laughs> fuck me dead. Uh, 95 Vivica A. Fox. Who else are we dealing with here? Fucking 54 Elvis. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah. No, Point uh, taken. Yeah, I got dates You know what you're talking about. Yeah. Denzel, always. <laughs> um, Cap gets a phone call. What I, The whole point of what I was trying to get at was four cell phones. His phone actually rings, so he has to crawl to the other side of the room, hungover, picks up the phone, and uh, in an act of moxie, he doesn't even know who it is. He just, what's up, bro? <laughs> he gets some bad news, or some news, that sends him into a tizzy, because then he starts throwing shit, breaking bottles. He, like, throws a basketball at his uh, fish tank, and then we get the... The freeze frame. <laughs> London. London. Which, you know, okay, you can't blame me. It looks like the movie's telling you we're in London. Yes. So, I mean, I, that, that's, I'm not complaining. I, well, I love the mind fuck. Enter the next scene. The next person you see is fucking Jason Statham, so... You... <laughs> Snatch. <laughs> yeah, and by then you knew who Jason Statham was. Oh, yeah. He was Although, a superstar. I imagine that the effect of having, you know, watching this movie in 2003, right? That's when it came out? Five. 2005, was not dissimilar to what I experienced watching it now, which is when you see Statham walking in, he looks nothing like Jason Statham ever. No. This is... A, a, a level of visual range that I didn't know Statham had it in in, in himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he he looks like Jason Statham's dad, and that's great. I didn't know that he could pull it off, but he does. Or Jason Statham's brother, Jeff Statham, <laughs> the responsible one, the one that went to med school, <laughs> the one that finished acting school. <laughs> uh, but he is. Our third character we meet by name, as there's a bartender named Mallory that we're introduced to, but Statham comes in. The The point being, Statham is there to sell Chris Evans Coke. He, I guess they shacked up on MySpace would have been the thing at the time. <laughs> Got him to come down to a bar to meet him, sell him some Coke. We're talking about the first 20 minutes of this movie, and interwoven with this are periodic flashbacks. We don't actually see Beale in the present until third act yeah yeah and it's almost by then you're so overloaded with stuff happening that i told you when we're watching it i didn't register that we we're watching it in real time until much later i do have an appreciation though for beale's performance here specifically the physical transformation because she's in all these flashbacks and she looks different in all of them but knowing it was all filmed at the same time very commendable now it's that is true. At the same time, there is the the through line in his her character. No matter the time, no matter the 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 scene, no matter what's going on, uh, very few exceptions. Maybe like one scene or two. Lots of skin, and it's necessary because the whole point of the movie, the the plot hinges on the fact that Chris Evans cannot get over Jessica Biel. And if I dated Jessica Biel, neither could I. Exactly. And in case you're not familiar with Jessica Biel, this movie will will give you the experience of having dated Jessica Biel because you see it there in all its glory and it's exactly what you thought it would be. Mm-hmm. So you have no trouble believing that Evans is but, fucked up. to be fair, without going too far. Well, yeah. 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 It, it, I mean, it pulls back right at the – you know, it's tasteful. Yes. No no full-blown nudity here. And to be to his credit, too, Evans – No Vincent Gallo bullshit. No. And Evans meets her at every pass. Evans, like, in all the flashbacks, he's either wearing no shirt or just a wife beater. Right. But, but see, that's why it's so important. You need to really sell us how 
strikingly gorgeous Jessica Biel is because because Chris Evans is a good looking dude. Which they made sure to make him look like a bouncer at Chili's in all these flashback <laughs> scenes because he's got the shaved head and like the fucking uniform MAGA goatee. But and even then, you know, I mean, he he's still, still fucking Chris Evans. Right. Yeah. So you have to be like, why couldn't this guy just get over it? Mm. Right. He has he can just move on to the next Jessica Biel. But, but no, there is no. Yeah. There's only one. Perfect hair. This movie's going to tell you why there's fantastic outfits, all that. But aside from the raw sexual energy that's provided by Jessica Biel and also Chris Evans, uh, what we learned from these periodic flashbacks is that they had a a very argumentative, uh, neurotic, and downright toxic relationship. It it happens to the best of us. It burn does. bright, burn fast. I mean, that's just because of, in every flashback too, it usually culminates with them engaging in the act of coitus, it's... which. We've all been there. The toxic relationship you know you shouldn't be in, but goddamn. You you can't have the movie star sex without the movie star jealousy just developing from it. But we learn through these periodic flashbacks and also what's going on with Bateman as in this coke-addled evening is that London is having a going-away party at... Uh, Isla Fisher's apartment. I didn't even take the trouble to write down Isla Fisher's name in this. But it's really Isla Fisher's parents. Correct. Yes. Because Isla Fisher, I mean, just jumping ahead a little bit. Rebecca. She has one line in the movie, but she does so much with that line. I mean, she says it several times, and every time it's just like a new thing. And that line is, were you doing coke in my parents' bathroom? (laughs) Correct, because at least this movie takes the time to, you know, unlike Grease or these other alleged classics we've covered, at least explain how these 20-year-old fucking people are partying in this high-rise apartment in New York City. Oh, her rich parents own it. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and how do they have so much coke? Because Jason Statham is a banker. I mean, he has a real job. He's a real coke dealer that's 20 (laughs) years older than all of them. Uh, So what happens is... Sid convinces Bateman, his coke dealer, come to this party with me. And they show up early. Not only that, but fucking Chris Evans is dressed like a bum. He's got these sweatpants on and a zip-up hoodie and uh, a ball cap. And, and his, Statham is next to him looking like his lawyer. Statham in looks like a million bucks. And <laughs> Statham is nothing if not a comedic timing master in this movie. And when they get there, it's... And, like, the dust settles and it's quiet and fucking great party. <laughs> so it's time to do a lot of drugs. And I think it's safe to say for maybe a fourth, if not longer, of this movie, Bateman and Sid are holed up in the, the bathroom there in the upper level of... Massive bathroom. It's like a hotel bathroom. Fancy hotel. I guess from just kind of looking at the scenery... Isla Fisher's parents are art dealers, perhaps, or art collectors, because okay. it looked like there was a lot of original art pieces in the the apartment there. But that's where you want to throw a party. <laughs> it's a lot of cocaine, a lot of drugs, and a lot of drug talk. And what I mean by that is a lot of talks about existence and mean uh, your purpose on Earth and the meaning meaningless or meaningful of life. Um, yeah, and it's like God. I think that you you reach an age where you 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 can't help but relate to this stuff. You've been to these parties, you've had these conversations. The only difference is you were not having them with Chris Evans and Jason Statham, and the girl that you were you were missing was not Jessica Biel. So this is just hyper real. Mm-hmm. This is taking your experience and making it like the Hollywood version, and that's great. It's it's and, aspirational. And throughout this, like you know. Their discussions of what the purpose of life is and all this shit. It's like a revolving door of women that are mutual friends with um, Chris Evans and Jessica Biel, relaying to him what has been heard about his uh, his person since then. So it's just more fuel being added on the fire. But in moments of just bro time, man, the bro talk picks up heavily. Statham just regaling Chris Evans with just tales of absolute debauchery. And I do have the quote here. He says, if we told women 10% of the things we did and thought, do you think we'd ever get laid? Statham is not only living his best life by being in this movie, but his character is also light years ahead of Chris Evans. Statham predicting the locker room talk debacle (laughs) over a decade before it happened. 
I have a note here, Tarantino on Coke, because I'm surprised none of those reviews you read made a, any sort of uh, analogous reference to Tarantino, because it seems like... I looked. <laughs> Hunter Richards definitely uh, wanted to take the Tarantino mold and push it to the next level. I, I think he was trying to be Tarantino for young people, because mm-hmm. Tarantino was going with you know Travolta... Sam Jackson, De Niro, De, De, De Niro, you know, there's like older stars, but here, uh, Hunter Jackson, Richards, Richards he, you know, he was going for, for the younger demographic, Chris Evans, up and coming, Jessica Biel, coming, <laughs> coming, <laughs> Statham. And, you know, he also had one cameo that was ahead of its time and another one that was <laughs> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Two cameos that were ahead of its time, and then another one that was only could have been pulled off in, in 2005. Um, we'll get to them. But, I mean, honestly, did you watch this movie? And, you know, we make that joke about Tarantino. Would you not want to see Jason Statham in a Quentin Tarantino film? Yeah. I mean, this movie, if nothing else, and it does many things, but if nothing else, what it does is it proves that, that uh, Statham... Can, he doesn't need to be an action star. Mm-hmm. He can just, he can be quippy and he can deliver monologues with the best of them. And I know he did some of that in the Guy Ritchie movies, but it's different. You know, Guy Ritchie is, is, is not an American filmmaker. Therefore, the pacing, the rhythm is, is a little different. Here, this is, you're right. It's a little more Tarantino and, and Statham just shines. I mean, he walks away with the movie. And some of the dialogue he's given, you would think would be really hard to pull off, especially when you're Jason Statham, but, the lines that I think are most far-reaching for him are the ones that he just fucking knocks out of the park. Like, there's the particular line about he says he's sweating like a rapist, and that's not a particularly fun line. You can, I mean, yeah, it takes talent to pull that off. Yeah, and he does it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that he just signals that he, he came ready for whatever with that hairpiece. Like, <laughs> Ego left at the door. This Again, this was him trying to get out. <laughs> he was trying to get out of the action genre. He saw this as his vehicle. It's a goddamn... This was his wrestler. Yeah, and he saw, like, in a fever dream, he saw the future. He saw that fucking movie he's doing with The Rock. Like, Shaw and Hobbs, or Hobbs and Shaw, where he's like, no, please. It was uh, the Phoenix Saga on the cartoon, where he just wakes <laughs> up. He's like, I can't tell you why I'm doing this, but I need to. <laughs> Mallory, the bartender, comes back to the fray, and she is immediately like any red-blooded woman would be, smitten with Bateman, uh, Jason Statham. That's another one of those, the line from uh, The Dirt, which we talked about in a previous episode. Don't leave your girlfriend alone with Motley Crue or they will fuck her. That's Jason Statham. Don't leave your girlfriend alone with Jason Statham. He will uh, pump her full of drugs <laughs> and then he'll seduce her. With zero effort. I mean, he doesn't he's not even trying, but he's yeah. not even trying. In the movie, he's most of the time he's just, and, and then we learn why, but he's just not particularly interested in hooking up with anyone. The best part, too, about his character is. He tries to like hit on all the girls that seem to have no interest in him. Right. It's yeah. almost like he knows that that he's just killing time. Yeah. Another flashback scene where uh, I do hold this against Chris Evans' character. He ruins a perfectly good puppy scene. He gives a puppy to Jessica Biel in some flashback and then gets mad at her. He's just a fucking asshole, man. But what these flashbacks do... He's mad about her talking to another guy or something like that. Or right. She she she, she makes the mistake of lying, yeah, not pulling off a good lie. Yeah. I'm not saying that she was not justified in lying, especially if, if Chris Evans, she knows that he can be such a dick, you know, be really jealous. But her lie is pretty weak sauce. You know, he, she says that uh, that a female friend called her but Evans heard a male voice on the other end of the line and then he very easily starts 69 <laughs> the call yeah. and then some dude answers and it's just like alright cover's blown he got the moral high ground now but still he's just fucking a lunatic he's out of control and uh, but what this does as an audience member is we still haven't actually seen present day Jessica Biel so this tension is continuing to build to want to see London there was a part of me that was hoping that you know, we get to to uh, present day Jessica Biel, and she's just, you know, she's nothing like the flashbacks. She's played by a different character, a different actress. It's she, like she's played by Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> <laughs> I the killed that. the dog. I did. Uh, in a series of flashbacks, yeah, we get these fights. We get another one where they start arguing, and then they have like fucking violent sex on the couch. The 
this is the what I on my notes I have the the seventh heaven Toy Story crossover because <laughs> Jessica Biel, you know, she came to prominence in that Christian TV show Seventh Heaven, and here she's arguing with Chris Evans, whose name's Sid, like the like ah. the, the mean kid in the Toy Story franchise. You know, they're talking about God, and basically Evans is just telling her that. No, God doesn't exist. And she keeps trying to convince him with some pretty weak arguments. But still, you know, it's like you just let her have this win. Obviously, she cares about this. And mm-hmm. she's right when she calls Evan out on, on basically saying, you just want to be right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then that devolves, like you said, as many of these passionate arguments do. And angry animal sex. And then you, you get the, the regret after. Yeah. Because Jessica Biel doesn't even kiss him after she like pie faces him and gets <laughs> off his body. Because good for her, because he's a fucking dick in this movie. Chris Evans is. Drugs commence, stories commence. Uh, we see uh, another flashback this time without London. Uh, it is Chris Evans sit on a couch, and the rapist Louis C.K. I'm sorry, the therapist Louis C.K. Uh, <laughs> With an unexpected, out of nowhere, ahead of its time cameo, he doesn't even have many lines. I think he says like one thing, and it's just mumbled. Yeah, in that in that Louis C.K. harmless way that we've learned to distrust. Uh, I have seen this movie before, not in a good ten or twelve years. I had no recollection of this. And Julio, is that Louis C.K.? And then before we could confirm, he was gone. Yes, but, but you know, now you can Much feel like it. in real life. As soon as he arrived, he was he was gone. Um. One of my notes I have written here is what I find refreshing about this, particularly the one of the flashbacks when they're arguing in a dressing stall. This is like the opposite perspective of 500 Days of Summer, which its entire purpose was to vilify uh, Zoe Deschanel, vilify the woman in the potentially toxic relationship. This one does a good job of almost crucifying the man because we get to see all his shortcomings and faults, that being Chris Evans, in very pronounced fashion but i also appreciate that they felt like actual arguments you know because in real life when you're arguing with your boyfriend or girlfriend it's not like in the movies where the argument has like a very well structured Mm build-up and then it just ends (laughs) at the right time in real life arguments are messy and they go in circles and you get more frustrated because you repeat yourself over and over and at least 20% of this movie is poor Jessica Biel repeating herself to yeah. Chris Evans and he go, he just won't take it. Mm. And he keeps bringing up the same argument and she keeps saying like, we already went over this. <laughs> it's uh, it's realistic. This is where I like pretend like she says something from the Avengers, but <laughs> I haven't seen an Avengers movie in five years. So I don't know. She will be. On the is that the new cool thing to say? You know, like those people that are so they feel so noble and tie straightening when they say they haven't ever seen a Star Wars movie. Uh, well, right now it's it's the the convergence of uh, Avengers Endgame and Game of Thrones the last season. So if you want to be super Jesus. cool, yeah, if you want to be super cool, make sure you let everybody know that you haven't watched Game of Thrones. So oh my god, the next six weeks you're gonna have to put up with the Game of Thrones people, and you have no interest in watching Avengers Endgame because you hated the last twenty movies. That so that, that's it though for fucking. Game of Thrones? Yeah, it ends. Oh, wow. There's five episodes left. And this is the last Avengers movie until with fall. the. <laughs> it's the last Avengers movie with the with the, the original guard. Pretty sure that we're going to... We're probably going to lose Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr. Very large sidebar. I, I do genuinely want to catch up on all those one day. So um, You know, maybe now that Evans is out of his Marvel contract, he can do London too. It's been rumored for so long. Yeah, I'm sure he'd be running back to do that. (laughs) And then Disney will buy those so they can put it on Disney Plus as well. In the Disney After Dark section. The PG-13 cut of London. (laughs) Jesus. All of Statham's dialogue, gone. You just see him. It'll be like his his parting collateral. He just walks in and then walks out and that's it. Speaking of the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour, Jason Statham, he uh, goes to tour the party floor. He leaves after he needs to go grab some more drinks. That's what it is. Uh, We see our final flashback of London and Sid, and it's basically an argument, presumably after sex, as they're in bed, both barely clothed, about him being unable to say I love you to her. And she just wants to know why he can't do it. And he has no explanation for it. And it's one of the only ones that doesn't cut out 
in the middle of an argument, it just cuts off when it's in stone silence. So the the most he can do is ride it on her shoulder, which is very artsy. But you know, there's a time and a place. A little bitch, <laughs> a little misunderstood soul. That's the thing. I have no sympathy for fucking Chris Evans in this movie. You got should have Jessica added a, Should have added sm- a smiley. No, the the O should have been a heart. <laughs> so, back in the present day, is they're out of beer, they're out of alcohol or whatever, because God knows fucking Statham's not drinking beer in this. So he's gonna go down to the party and get a drink. So we do get another ahead of its time cameo with Kat Dennings, who has like two lines. And, um, oh, she has the line of saying she's 18, and that piques Statham's interest incredibly. Uh, but more importantly, the cameo, one of the most well-timed cameos I can think of ever, especially in the history of The Contrarians. Just just when you think the movie couldn't get any better. A 2005, prime, poised, ready to take over the world, Dane Cook. It's also, this is the kicker. It's our first shot of Jessica Biel in real time. Yes. And so he eclipses the the, the fact that you're seeing Jessica Biel London for the first time in the present. It's because heat when Pacino and De Niro are on the screen at the same time. Yeah. It, it's just like. The Departed when Matt Damon and Leo are on the scene the screen at the same time. The heavens parted and Dane Cook came to star in this movie for like five minutes. And, and like you said, pretty sure they just let him riff. He's just riffing the entire time, and he's being great at it. He's being so funny. He's just he's just throwing one-liners at every single person that walks by. It's one of those things that we always joke about in uh, my wrestling friends, and I read who's been on the podcast before about you know uh, waiting and striking when the iron's you know stone cold. It, this was Dane Cook was a, a billowing beacon of light at this point. And, and he knows it. I oh, mean, you can tell. He owns it. Just, I am the selling point of this movie. He is slumming it here with, with all these other actors. He, he's doing them a favor by being at this party. The catering went up a notch when he was there that day. Uh, Bateman returns with a, a bevy of alcohol. And we launch into Statham's... Uh, it's not even Oscar scene. It's like an Oscar segment. Of, because we were trying to pick out his Oscar line here, and you know the difficult part of it is uh, the cursing. But they've gotten into a model now where they can just bleep out or air out the cursing. And I think that they would just play this at his uh, lifetime achievement awards. <laughs> they could just play the whole the thing. ceremony they do the night before the Oscars, like when they did Jackie Chan. Yeah, <laughs> they'll play this whole scene for Statham when he gets it. Uh, he talks about. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Statham like sitting in the audience, just like the single tear rolling down, like thinking of what could have been. <laughs> I'm trying to think of who would present it to him though, like at the night before. Chris Evans, of course. Oh yeah, it would still be hot. Or like, I- I'm just thinking of something more refined. Glenn Close. <laughs> <laughs> I've drawn a lot of inspiration from this next man. (laughs) He's back up in the bathroom, and they are talking about pain. And there's an argument that is formulated by Sid. He said, just because you're older than me and because you've lived through things doesn't mean your pain is any bigger than mine. And Statham has like an incredible line of, listen, all this shit you're going through, the believing in God, heartbreak. I went through that trivial shit when I was 20. I'm 40 now. And then launches in bigger into what pain is. And, you know, this is, uh, it kind of mirrors Star Trek V with, I need my pain. Yeah, but they both share. So, Statham says, you don't want to go there. Because if we go there, We're I'm going to... back. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to shame you. My my hang-ups are so much bigger than yours. And, and Evans goes there no matter what. And what you realize uh, is that these two torture men, it's it's a very honest portrayal of masculinity Mm -hmm. because you find out that really the thing that's really hanging over their heads the monkey on their shoulders uh is just uh obsession with their penises yeah and i'm not being silly that's really what happens evans is is upset that uh jessica beale is dating a dude that allegedly has a really big penis and just when he's thinking that well how do you top that jason statham Mm-hmm. Statham launches into like a 10-minute monologue about the fact that he's impotent. And that that's pain. That as a man, you don't know what pain is until your girlfriend wants to have sex and you can't have sex with her. Well, she wants to have sex four or five times a night. Yes. Which I did love also just from a comedic standpoint because even 
I don't know, you know, when I was 19, I wasn't capable of that. And so Chris Evans is supposed to be like 22, 23 in the movie. And uh, Statham says, she liked to get fucked four or five times a night. And Chris Evans goes, four or five times a night. <laughs> so, But he understands. And as a man, and, you know, obviously we've had females on this podcast before, but it is from time to time a male-driven uh, narrative. I mean, as a man, you can definitely uh, sympathize with that idea that that would be pain. Yes. It, I mean, I think that it works on both levels, right? Because it really, you understand it. It feels true to the characters and you can relate. You're like, yes, that's fucked up, man. But yet the movie also, it doesn't frame it as in, oh, this justifies everything that they've done. It's mm -hmm. just like, look, they're men. <laughs> Of course, they're going to be tortured by the fact that, you know, their penises either don't work or don't measure up to mm -hmm. other people's penises. Uh, but but obviously, Jessica Biel deserves better, <laughs> no matter what. Well, that is an unequivocal fact. Uh, but this impotency talk is almost treated like a fucking halftime uh, <laughs> motivational speech for Sid as he finally works up you know, the, the chutzpah to go down and talk to London. One thing I forgot about this movie is how big of a fucking bum he looks like when he goes down to talk to her. He, well, he's he, been doing coke for like two hours now. Yeah, but he's not even wearing his jacket anymore. He's just in his sweatpants and his stained gray tee, no hat on, his hair is a mess. And he's just carrying like a bottle of tequila with him. <laughs> and he's carrying it like the old David Tell joke of like the, you have something to worry about because he could just break it over someone's head at any moment. And he goes up and he interrupts Dane Cook and, London and says, London, can we go talk somewhere? She says, no, I'm quite happy here. With Dan Cook. Yeah. And <laughs> Who Dan, wouldn't? Dan Cook is worse for wear because he's not riffing. <laughs> you know, he's he's expected to be quiet for 30 seconds, so he doesn't know what the <laughs> fuck to do. Finally, though, he breaks London away. They're going to go talk. And uh, I guess they're going to go out in the hallway or what have you. But along the way, Isla Fisher uh, stops them and she fucking cuts a promo on Chris Evans here <laughs> that, you know, no, I don't want you leaving London. She doesn't like you. She doesn't want to be with you. No one wants you here. And this starts the domino effect of all domino effects in that London starts trying to pull him out while he's like, no, fuck you. And then he's like putting on his coat and still <laughs> cursing her out. Chris Evans looking like he's about to start a fight with, with, Tiny Isla Fisher. <laughs> For some reason in my memory, I thought I remembered he like slapped her, and I'm so glad that I was wrong about that. But he, I was waiting for it. But he does like call her out in front of her boyfriend about like when she was in a sorority, she like fucked like 20 dudes at one time or something like that. And then she starts crying and gets pissed off about it. And the, the boyfriend punches the him. The boyfriend punches him. And then just when we're worried that things are going off the rails, this, the fucking nucleus of this film jason statham comes back in flies in out of frame and smashes a beer bottle over the dude's head and then beats the shit out of like three other dudes <laughs> it's great because obviously pandemonium the the party is is just it becomes chaos it's like a giant fight and then jessica beale manages to to pull chris evans out and then chris evans in the biggest bro moment ever comes back goes, he's like no we, we gotta go back for statham and goes and pulls statham out he's like i gotta get bateman and she goes who the fuck is bateman <laughs> it's and, jason statham and then the door opens and he pulls him out by the waist and statham's still kicking it's like a static <laughs> shot of him come on you cunts they hit the elevator he says fuck this i need my jacket so he goes back in london and sid go down to his car they talk and it leads to what you would presume it leads to they just can't resist the urges uh, they kiss, but it's it's very much goodbye sex. Oh yeah, we've yeah. seen them have all sorts of sex during the movie. You know, they at had no the... point, and even the the ending of the film, at no point does she change her plans to move. Right, right. Yeah. This is just, but but it's for the closure. first time, it, it's just no no longer angry sex. Mm -hmm. It's just like we've reached a point of agreement where it's better for me to leave, and I will always care for you. Before they take off though and go back to his apartment, um. We say goodbye to Jason Statham. We do say goodbye to Bateman, who comes back with Mallory, the bartender, and uh, he lights up a cigarette. And, like, man, Statham's delivery here about uh, the best conversation you'll ever have is with a total stranger. We're going to go back and get a drink, a late drink, see what happens, maybe raise the flag. But he keeps, like, doing those heavy snorts in between, like a dude that's been co doing coke all night. Uh -huh. It's just chef's kiss. Impeccable. 
early front runner for the Embry. Um, <laughs> London, Sid, go back to his apartment, have the farewell sex, as it clearly is that. And uh, we cut to the their bed the next or his bed the next morning, and he clearly has not slept at all. He's just embraced the the evening with London. Tells her it's six thirty. She needs to get ready to go. He takes her to the airport and drops her off. Walks her in to check in. It's only one way this movie can end, Alex. Only one way. He goes to walk away. Turns back as she's, you know, the poor woman at the counter at Delta is trying to help her. And fucking homeless <laughs> Captain America is fucking dropping off this gorgeous woman. But he turns around and says, London, I love you. Just let that give it a moment. But it's great because he's in the in the background. Jessica Biel is in the foreground, and we get to see her face react to that. And obviously, he doesn't really see it because he's far away, and she's actually kind of like facing us more than she's facing him. And this, that's Jessica Biel acting. Yeah. Taking that in, almost breaking down. You can see that she briefly considers maybe I should just stay. And then she's like, all right, nope, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> she does go, and they give the, the one long kiss, but yeah. The the way this movie would have been that fourteen percent is if she stayed, it would have betrayed the London oh, character. Yeah, but yeah, no. she goes and gives him the farewell kiss. And <laughs> that is leaves. that is no joking. That's the Garden State ending. <laughs> that is, yeah. yeah. But this is, uh, I think, Sid is so self delusional and egotistical. He thought he was going to win her back with that, and she just kind of too little, too late, buddy. Exactly. She she had moved on as an adult, so off she goes, and off we go. That that's it. There's no more. We fade to black. Yeah, a Hunter Richards film, written and directed by Hunter Richards, starring a film by Hunter <laughs> Richards, starring Dane Cook. He fucking he has a character name, even though it was not said at any point. George, I I do not recall that being said at any point in this. Well, no, because that would have that would have meant that he would have had to stop talking <laughs> for somebody to say his, to say his name. <laughs> But as soon as she entered our lives, she's gone, and that was London. Now we'll be as obsessed with her as Chris Evans was. Understandably so. Yeah. You ready for real talk? I am. I'm fascinated about this. All right. Let's go to real talk. Pull up the quotes while you do your thing. If you had one-tenth my pain, you'd be psychologically fucking crippled. Like, seriously, fuck off. Look, all we're doing is projecting shit here. Look, take a step back. Let's relax, shall we? Do a little bit of gear, have a line. Come no, on. fuck the gear. I don't want that shit. Get it away from me. More for me. It's Bateman, right? Nice to see your memory's still intact. Well, Bateman, let me give you a little glimpse into my life, a little insight into my personal fucking pain. Mate, it's not necessary. Truly. No, it is necessary. And if you didn't think it was necessary, you wouldn't have gone there. You wouldn't have pushed my fucking buttons, but you did. And if you don't want to hear it, you should stop snorting my shit and get the fuck out of the bathroom. Well, technically, it's my shit, but I can see you're passionate, so... Go. So this fucker, this fucking guy out in L.A., who my chick is now in love with, he's, you know, endowed. She told you that? Yeah, so anyway, I needed to know how big. Not that I give a fuck about another guy's dick or anything. I just wanted to know. It's one of those things you feel like you need to know. So we're in an argument, and I keep pushing her. I was pushing her, and I was like, how big is he? You know, how big is he? And she was like, let's not make an issue out of it, Sid. And I said, no, fuck that. Tell me how big he is. And she says, ten and a half inches. Jesus. Yeah, you believe that shit? She could have at least rounded it down. Look, the girl's trying to hurt you, mate. Yeah, no shit. But it really fucked with me, you know? It fucked with my head knowing that this guy is in L.A. with the only woman I love, fucking her with ten and a half inches. I'm chasing her around like a little fucking puppy dog, doing everything and anything I can to get her back. And it crushed me. It still fucking crushes me. All right, so London was... It premiered, excuse me, at the Montreal World Film Festival. I thought you were going to say at the Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> oh, God. It, the Palme d'Or. <laughs> uh, the Montreal World Film Festival on September 3rd, 2005. It was released, God, not at all wide, but it had a limited release. February 10th, 2006. The way I know about this movie was it was released on DVD right when I started my job at Blockbuster and we got free rentals. So I rented it. And like I told you, I was a freshman in college. So it was like, Oh, art. And then, so so you rented it on the strength of what? Jessica Biel. Jessica Biel. Yeah. Okay. Well, cause it also, it, the box art looks very much like snatch and, uh, kind of, it looks very Guy Ritchie esque. 
So, and I saw Statham was in it and all that. But anyway, I watched it. I was like, oh, yeah, dialogue, art. And then I rewatched it like as a moderate adult at like 25 or something. No, I wasn't even that old. Last time I watched it, it was probably 22, 23. After college, I watched it and I was like, God, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so coming into it tonight, I was kind of, I had a, a skewed sense of it. The reason I jest about its release was because the box office reported was slightly over 20,000. So it, I could not find a budget anywhere. The budget on IMDb says it was like 25,000. That may have been Dane Cook's fee, but, you know. <laughs> well, unless everybody was just, you know, it's a label Believed of so hard in yeah. it. Uh, written like, and, you want a chance to act, let's do it. Written and directed by Hunter Richards, who never wrote nor directed another feature-length film ever again. How do you top London? Actually, I take that back. He wrote something called Free the Nipple, which is a comedy of some sort, but it is... Looks like a documentary, excuse me. This movie is not nearly as bad as I remembered. But it's not nearly as good as we made it sound in Contrarian's Corner. No. <laughs> it is definitely a movie that exists uh, that has some high points. One of them is not Chris Evans' wig. <laughs> like I said when we were watching, that's like fucking sub-SNL level prop that he has on his fucking head. But before we can get to any of that, it is at 14%. So that does mean that someone out there, a critic of some sort, gave it a fresh, shiny red tomato. Uh, we got three quotes here from Run Tomatoes, starting with Jeff Odo from IGN Movies. He says, London is a very simple character piece that is not for every taste. I recommend the film, but I fully expect some that see it based on my recommendation will curse my name come the end credits. I wouldn't curse anyone's name over that movie. No. I would just be like, huh, no thanks. Uh, Eric Lurio from Greenwich Village Gazette. He just says, while it shouldn't work, it does. Yeah, so far none of these <laughs> have gone over the edge of like, okay, pump the brakes. And then Joe Blow from Joe Blow's Movie Emporium says, if you don't mind watching people who are better looking than you coking up for 90 minutes, dot, dot, dot. Again, <laughs> all- none of these have been like, this is a great movie masterpiece yeah yeah no uh there really weren't any did you catch the tagline for this movie no a film about love and her victims <laughs> all right so the pretentious side let's let's start with the bad because it's not lacking in that but again full disclosure up front it one of the things we both immediately agreed on it is not anywhere near long enough to be offensive yeah, no, and it's it, even when it's bad, it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of uh, unintentional laughter while I was watching it. Chris Evans' wig. Chris Evans, I think, was overreaching. And, I mean, I don't know. I like Chris Evans. I love so that. Chris might, Evans. That might be part of it. Yeah. But I think he does okay with what he's given. He's a fantastic comedic actor. I think this was like him trying to flex drama. And I know he can do it, but in this particular, some of the dialogue is just ridiculous. It's just that that the script asks him to go so far out, and he doesn't have the gravitas that that Statham brings to the role. Oh, we'll get to Statham. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like yeah. he, he pales in comparison, and so he comes across as a little boy throwing a tantrum, whereas Statham comes across as an adult with real problems. So that doesn't Which help him. Which works for that one scene where right. they're arguing about their problems and whatnot. But yeah, for like just practically watching this movie as an adult, you would be like, yeah, no shit, this woman wants nothing to do with you, you fucking little bitch. But <laughs> Jessica Biel is a very polished actress, I think, and cursed with the fact that she's super hot. Yeah. I mean, let's be, let's call a spade a spade or whatever the fucking cliche is. It's like, she would not have been given the role or the character wouldn't have been written that way unless she was super fucking hot. Right. Let's, let's call that gratuitous, uh, nudity. (laughs) Gratuitous nudity. nudity. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the opening sex scene is shockingly graphic. Unnecessarily so. I mean, I, I made that point in Contrarian's Corner that you need to believe that, that he would go nuts for Jessica Biel. Okay, you just catch Jessica Biel. That's it. You don't need to give her, like, 
extra sexy scenes because yeah. I believe that you know I, your average guy would go crazy for Jessica Biel dressed. Yeah, <laughs> you, you need to un- undress her in order for me to buy it. I will say this: I would be curious to speak with the, the guy who wrote it and directed it to see who he thought the hero was because it's like there's nothing redeeming about Chris Evans' character in that he's like such a psychotic controlling boyfriend. So I understand he's the main character, but is he supposed to be the, the, the knight? No, I think, I think Statham, if anything, is the closest to what we would think is a hero. The redeemer. Yeah. In the sense that, and and he kind of helps, I guess, uh, uh, Chris Evans along the way a little bit, you know, if he doesn't encounter, uh, Jason Statham that night, if he doesn't spend that time with him, with him, maybe he he doesn't get to the point where he can say "I love you" to Jessica Biel at the end. Maybe I don't know. I mean, the movie's not that well written. Where I no, <laughs> I, I think I'm helping it a little bit there, but uh, I, I think she definitely has the high ground uh, through most of the movie. It seems like the movie agrees with it with, mm-hmm. with that take, where it's better for her to move on. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other glaringly bad things. So. I didn't think the bartender was, I, I you know, out of the the ensemble. I think that she was the weakest because she did get billing. Also, it was uh, yeah. I mean, she she has like a big chunk of Joy Bryant. She spends, you know, they take turns spending time with is Chris like, Evans. And, you're fucking with three legitimate A list actors <laughs> right. and actresses. So when she, but but the other the girl that was in the bathroom before her, the blonde, uh-huh. she does fine. And I don't know if it's that she actually has a story to tell, so she can actually do something with her lines. Yeah. Whereas uh, when the when the bartender comes in, all she's doing is really reacting to Chris Evans and and asking him if he really committed, tried to commit suicide, and it's yeah. just kind of I don't know. I didn't think that she was on the level. She sounded pretty forced compared to everybody else. It. You know, you could have had Isla Fisher be that character and probably pulled it off a little bit better. I and mean, then they get into a fight at the end somehow. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, I mean, what a waste of Isla Fisher, really. I mean, I guess they didn't know at the time that she was a that she could carry more than what they give her here. This would have been after Wedding Crashers, though, I think. So even more so then. What a waste of Isla Fisher. Here nor there. So my biggest thing about this movie is I told Julio when we're watching this, and if you ever listen to our American Hustle episode, I voiced a similar opinion. Now keep in mind this is a better movie than American Hustle, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> it has what I perceive to be the makings of a great short film, like a twenty-minute short film. See, the issue with American Hustle is that it's just so much fluff and reliance on visual and haha people in clothes. But this is someone trying to pull off Tarantino who can't pull off Tarantino. That that to me is the biggest shortcoming of this movie is these actors try to pull off all this dialogue and we'll, I'm saving Statham for last. Cause I think we both agree. He's the highlight. <laughs> oh of this. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, but Jessica Biel, good actress, Chris Evans, very great. And you know what he can do, but you're giving these actors all this dialogue. That's really not that good. And then expecting them to pull it off in like a really convincing sense. I, I think it boils down to that there. If you're going to have a movie that's 95% talking, then the talking has to be really good. And yes, Tarantino will go on digressions and it'll be just people telling stories, but the stories that they're telling are interesting, funny, and really well told, mm-hmm. which only the Statham bits, I think, qualify. As- and even then you could argue that it's just he figured out a way to make it work. Yeah, that that's Statham carrying most of the load and, and helping the dialogue. Uh, the stuff with uh, Chris Evans and Jessica Biel, I mean, they're trying, but it's just really repetitive. It's mm-hmm. just, you're just basically seeing them argue over and over and over. And it's like, just show me a different aspect of this relationship. Yeah. You know, it's like they have sex and they argue. What else do they do? Yeah. I guess Louis C.K. really wouldn't have been anything at this point in time. That this was, is just him, like, paycheck. You know, paycheck. Just, he, hey, got a call back. <laughs> At twenty five grand in the budget, you know, two of that went to him. <laughs> two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> now, on the other end of the spectrum, I'm just imagining fucking Hunter Richard just bullying him. Like, <laughs> You'll do what I fucking tell you to do. Cross your legs that way. <laughs> uh, and what I said in Contrarian's Corner was true. There. I don't think of any other person or movie that captured Dane Cook at the right time, the right moment than this. Even that movie Waiting came out too late. Dude, he made you laugh. 
you hated yeah. it, but he made you laugh. It, yeah, it made me mad. It's fuck that guy. But yeah, he he did have some funny lines. It's just funny, and I think part of the comedy is just that it was so unexpected. Yeah, and uh, suddenly it's Dane Cook, and it's exactly what you would think Dane Cook would be. It's Dane it's Cook, movie. and it's Dane Cook, right? Yeah. It's Dane Cook being Dane Cook. It, yeah, it was. Um... South Park token when Tyler Perry makes him laugh. He's like, God damn it. That's like <laughs> Dane Cook made me laugh. It's like, fuck. So the undisputed highlight of this movie, Jason Statham. Playing, know, playing against type now, you know, in 2019. But back in 2005, as we were discussing while we were watching the movie, he hadn't gone off the deep end of action blockbusters. He had already established himself as that. In terms of lock, stock, snatch, transporter, Italian job, and uh, cellular. Oh, and Transporter 2 came out before this, too. Um, oh, you know, he's uh, with Chris Evans on cellular. Yeah. Point being, he had clearly, he was an action guy, but he hadn't, like, cemented himself in that yet. So. I mean, this is a lot closer to, to snatch and lock, stock. As far in terms as, of like heavy dialogue, and yeah, stuff, the yeah. dialogue is trying to be wittier than you know your average action movie would be. You know, like in in I don't know, I haven't seen any of the transporter movies, so I can't imagine that there's a lot of talking and just long monologues about the you know, deep issues. But regardless, he takes the ball and fucking whatever sports euphemism, rugby, yeah, whatever you want to use, he does it. Has some lines that we talked about in Contrarian's Corner that I genuinely think are lines that probably would be really hard to pull off comedically. He does. Uh, his long-winded speeches are fantastic, and it was it was just good. Like more so than anything I remembered about this movie, I did not remember him being as like coming off as good as he does in this. I think he has the advantage of being the adult. So he yeah. puts everybody to shame, not just because his performance is strong, but because the shit that he's talking about makes everybody else, every everybody else's bullshit pale in comparison. And his character is the most layered because of that. He's like this forty year old dude, but he's like hanging out with these twenty year olds, and then but he still wants to act like he's holier than thou. And yeah, it's uh, it's easily to me the most fascinating part about the movie. Yeah, and and I mean we made the joke. More than a few times while we're watching the movie and in Contrarian's Corner, but really, that was it. Really, was him trying to break out, yeah. trying to escape the curse of the action hero. It didn't work. Nope. <laughs> so I guess in a sense, London was like a martyr, and uh, <laughs> it uh, it died for the sins of Jason Statham. <laughs> But God love him. He, you know, he gave it 110% and his delivery, especially, I'm not kidding. It's like a really good scene of acting. The one where he explains to Chris Evans that, yeah, because I am older than you, I know more than you. Yeah. Like that, that's good stuff. Yeah. Like the stuff about him being uh, impotent really on, on, on the page is kind of silly. It's as silly as, as, as Chris Evans being so upset about the fact that she is, uh, that Jessica Biel is now dating a guy with like a, Ten and a half inch dick, but Statham sells it, which makes it even more impressive. Yeah, that scene is so like if you just if you and I just read that, like if we both had the script and we're just reading, like what the fuck? And then even Chris Evans isn't believable in it, but then Statham takes it to the next level, where like it's literally like one of the most impactful scenes of the movie. And yeah, and we didn't talk about it much. We kind of glossed over it. There is the scene also where Statham's explaining what it's like to go to like an S and M warehouse and get worked over, and it's gross, but also his delivery of it's really uh, captivating. But then he also has a line at the end about when you come, you are so sober. One of the biggest laughs in the movie for me was is that cut to him in the elevator going up after going through whatever he paid to do and that's with the line yeah, after you come you sober up real fast and then it's just his face like it's the shame. elevator of shame just going up um yeah I, I mean what i guess we already covered the movie's biggest failing is just relying too heavily on dialogue that's not good yeah it's you know it's not an incompetent movie because it's actually every now and then i would 
I would zone out on the dialogue because I, I wasn't connecting to it. And I was like, man, you know, he's really trying to do something with the camera because it's a lot of it happens in that bathroom and there's a lot of mirrors. And there's a lot of good focus pulls. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's definitely getting the most out of the enclosed space mm-hmm. in the apartment. It's it's visually it's fine, you know, but it's just not quite. Would have been a hell of a 20 minute short film. Yeah, you, you know, especially if you're trying to really capture just the the mental state of somebody who's on drugs. Mm-hmm. And so you have a 20-minute short film of him on drugs the entire time just remembering his relationship with her in this drug-addled state as he's walking towards her to just ask for one last chance or to ask for an explanation. That would have been a lot more impactful. Of course, you lose you lose Statham, but yeah. you can't have everything. Well, he died for our sins. Uh, real quick, wrapping up here. Uh, Jessica Biel sometimes gets knocked, I think, undeservedly th- so. I think she's fine for what she does. I thought she was fine in this, too. Yeah, I, I can't think of a movie where she was bad. But I also can't think of a movie where the filmmakers didn't use her basically as a sex symbol. As, I ask not. you, as we were watching it, did, has you, have you seen Stealth? I, no, but I remember yeah. from Stealth, the main thing in the trailer was there was like shots of her in her bikini. Yeah, she, yeah. for no reason, at some point halfway through the movie, they just go to this waterfall and, you know, it's just slow-mo. Texas with, uh, Chainsaw remake was her and a wife beater that was wet half the movie. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, even uh, our beloved Elizabeth Town, uh, you know, she's there to be the hot... I forgot she's in Elizabeth Town. Yeah, she's, yeah. The, she's the hot uh, ex-girlfriend. She is a fucking gorgeous human being, but yeah. Rules of attraction. She's this bloody cheerleader. It's just like, give her something else. Maybe that'll be like the... The next Tarantino revival? No, because I'm trying to think of like, maybe Martin Scorsese will put <laughs> Scorsese. her... <laughs> Scorsese will put her in a... Or the contrarians call to the directors of the world. Let's let's get Jessica Biel in a in a big girl role. Yeah, I get okay, you know what she needs? She needs a woman director to really just look past the Sad but true. the male gaze and just give her a, a chance. Cuz I'm not defending my <laughs> my gender at all. I would see her and be like, "Duh." <laughs> Gorgeous woman. Uh closing. We didn't do this for African Queen, but my we always uh, Julio likes to do star ratings. I do letter ratings. I would say C- minus for this. Um two and a half. I'll give it two and a half with like, you know, the the little heart that says that I enjoyed it. <laughs> Beware, though. You may not uh, watch it for Satan. Yeah. Uh, African Queens, you brought it up. Three stars. Maybe no heart. <laughs> so, yeah, African. Uh, I, I'm more likely to rewatch London than the African Queen. Uh, I, I feel that. And I also feel like so many bullets being put in the chamber right now listening to this podcast. How fucking dare you? <laughs> uh, okay. But that was our second bonus episode on the road to the cure. Uh Looks like we're going to hit it right at time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now now this is like, you know, after like we're at 59 minutes. Um, so now, you know, the, the post wrap up thing, what we promised. What movie are we doing? This, on is, the this is your baby, Julio, in terms of what movie was chosen. So <laughs> I throw it to you. What what uh, achievement in film have you chosen for us to cover on live stream for The Cure? So according to Amazon Prime, tomorrow I should be receiving the Blu-ray uh, that contains the theatrical and the extended cut of Basic Instinct 2. <laughs> but we will just be covering the theatrical release. Yes, yeah, okay. let's play fair. But if you if you are one if you're the, the lucky winner of our raffle during our segment, then you can watch the extended edition at home when we mail you that DVD or that Blu-ray signed. Um if I read it correctly, it's a whole two extra minutes in the extended edition. Jesus Jones. Uh, I've seen that movie only once. Have you seen it? No. Oh, it'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, you've seen the original. You've seen the original Basic Instinct. Way back when, yeah. Yeah. Fun fact, apparently Nick uh, from Epic Film Guys hasn't seen the original Basic Instinct, and he's not going to watch the original Basic Instinct. He's going to be cold to Basic Instinct 2. Which I, I should feel make it's it, best. Should, be, uh, should make uh, for an interesting thing. I mean, I... I imagine we'll devote like a minute or two to just the original, kind mm-hmm. of like to set up the comparisons. But uh, but yeah, I from what I remember, the one time I watched it, it stands on its own. And uh, it's uh, well-deserved of its rotten status. But who knows? You know, I, I may rewatch it and have the experience you had with London. And you're like, oh, you know, it's not so bad. It's not good, but <laughs> it's not so bad. Jason Statham is great in it. I've forgotten that he was in it. <laughs> I would Excellent. love a Dane Cook cameo in Basic Instinct 2. <laughs> I can't I, I don't even remember what a Dane Cook impression consists of anymore. 
Just saying the same word over and over again. <laughs> Making faces. Yeah. All right. So that was the road to the live stream. We're about three weeks out. Four, yeah. I four mean, I'm not even sure when this one, when we're going to post this bonus episode, but you know. As of this recording. As of this recording. Yeah. Um, I think we're in good shape. Yeah. We haven't accounted for, uh, even though I mentioned to you before we start recording, the the mini interruptions that happen every time somebody donates, mm-hmm. which that's great, donate through our entire episode. Hell yeah. But you know, that that will be something that that you know we'll cross that bridge whenever we get to it. Um, in the meantime, just plan ahead so you can attend our our segment live. What I like about our time slot, the five to six uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday, the eighteenth, mm-hmm. is that it kind of plays fair to our audiences. All over the world mm-hmm. because it's good enough that you know people in Peru, people in Australia, people in England. I know we have listeners all over there, and uh, it'll be different times, but they're doable times. Yeah, it's, it's nothing not, ridiculous. Exactly. It's like three so, in the morning. so hopefully they can they can attend and and just have fun with us. Be sure to tune in there. It's uh, twitch.tv slash Epic Film Guys. That'll be uh, May seventeenth through nineteenth. Our plugs, as always, the festive years for providing our opening and closing tracks, and also Hansroth Geezer for providing our logo. Yeah, you can reach him on Twitter at Mildemonios, M I L D E M O N I O S. Uh, email him at Mildemonios at hotmail.com. And you can listen to his podcast, Nacion Combi. Uh, it's in Spanish. Practice your Spanish or learn Spanish. Uh, and listen to him talk about Peruvian politics and other Peruvian stuff. But for now, we do appreciate you guys listening to this bonus episode of The Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. That's some of the-